You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. Travel agents do a lot of study, they do a lot of preparation, they provide a lot of resources, and yet tour guides are people that actually go on trips with you, that make the journey with you. In the spiritual life, we can just simply stand back and we can choose to be like a travel agent. Or we can choose to study and study and study. But in the Christian faith, in the life in which we're called to live with God, it's not just sitting back and studying, but it's going on a journey together. And so in this message series, and in our class on Sunday and Wednesday nights, I hope you're going to be a part of those times together, we're going to look at the different stages that people go through on the journey with God. And today as we look at recognition of God, when the light bulb starts going off, we're going to build on that in the coming weeks and talking about being discipled as a follower of Jesus, the productive life of living for God, the interior journey, hitting walls, as well as moving forward into the deeper experiences of the love of God. So as we do that today, um, and as I serve you today as a tour guide, I hope you're leaning forward. What's the posture right now of your soul? Hands folded like this, sitting back like this, or are you leaning forward? Are you ready to go on a journey with God? Now there's two basic assumptions that I have Two basic absolutes that I believe are essential for people to really go on this journey of faith with God. One of those absolutes has to do with the idea that we are loved unconditionally and unreservedly by God. You don't have to answer this out loud right now, but do you believe that? Do you believe that you are unconditionally and unreservedly, undeservedly loved by God? That's not an easy thing for people to to buy into. If their family of origin didn't have unconditional love, if they experienced uh, the harshness and the hardness of this world, when there continues to be things that uh, are horrific in life that happens, when we have personal suffering that hits us, not always easy sometimes. 
to believe that we're unconditionally loved by God. But that's part of the stuff of what stage one is, is about, this recognition of that. If you have that recognition, oh my goodness, that is a wonderful thing. The second thing is that uh, we are missing out. When the light bulb starts going off in our minds and our spirit, we become aware of what we're missing out when God is missing in our life. Or we may be going along really well in life, but we feel like something is empty, something is not right, something is not happening. And so when you put the two together, there's this sense that we are loved unconditionally by God, and without God, we're missing out. It's part of what it means fully to live into stage one, this recognition that, that God is real, that God is alive, that God is not some man upstairs or some object. God is imminent. God is in my life. God is up close and personal. God is here this morning. That's that sense of recognition of God. And for us to go on the journey, uh, there's got to be that sense that this is happening. And we become spiritually alive. That's... Kind of questionable sometimes. So what I want to do today as your tour guide, no tips, please. You can thank me afterwards. I want us to just kind of walk us through some scripture. And I want us to walk us through some scripture of the ways in which some people met Jesus. This scripture may be familiar to you, but to me it is fascinating how people are initiating their conversation with Jesus, how that Jesus invites them, or other people invite them into the life of Jesus, and how that Jesus gives them their sense of identity and value and worth. So we're going to look at some really rich dialogue, and as I read this scripture from the gospel, I invite you to stand with me, and I, and I want you to be thinking about the people that we meet along the way in this brief story of the gospel according to John. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The following day, John, that's John the Baptist, the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked out at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon. 
son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, <laughs> exclaimed Nathanael. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I can see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I told you that I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I, will tell, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven and open and the angels of God coming up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So it all starts with John the baptizer, and he says this word about Jesus. He says, look, there's the Lamb of God. And earlier, the, the day before, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, this is kind of odd, weird theological language, Lamb of God. It's not something that the generic person in culture might understand. And yet, in those days, they understood it clearly that on a given day, at certain times of the day, a lamb was brought before the house of God and that lamb was slaughtered. And the Jews believe that by doing that, their sins was taken care of by that slaughtered lamb. And so John says... Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at the cross. I'm glad during Lent we don't have a bright, shiny, gold cross. I'm glad it's wooden and simple because the cross that Jesus died on wasn't bright and shiny and pretty. It was rugged and it was cruel. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John just kind of gives a witness. And Andrew's one of the guys that hears him say this. And Andrew and his buddy start following Jesus. There's something about Jesus. You ever look at Jesus? Maybe you're at this place in your faith where maybe you're just starting to really look at Jesus. And as you read about him, as you think about him, as you study his life, there's something very appealing about him. Something captured Andrew and his friend's eyes, and they start following Jesus, and Jesus turns around. 
And he looks at him. And he asks, what do you want? Now that's a great question, isn't it? What do you want? You know, good spiritual leaders, they don't give answers. Good spiritual leaders ask the right questions. And they ask these penetrating questions. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you want? What do you want this morning? What do you want in life? What do you need from Jesus? What do you want? That's the question that Jesus asks. That's a great question. I went and saw The Greatest Showman and Susan this week. My personal opinion is if they're going to do a musical, they ought to have people in musicals who are able to sing. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackson's done several musicals, and the, the guy just can't sing. Uh, now, I just turned out to be a critic. But I can be a critic, can I? I can just stand back and I can criticize because I'm never going to go on stage. I'm never going to be an actor. I'm never going to be in a musical. I'm never going to sing. I can just stand back and I can criticize. It is so easy to be a critic, isn't it? So easy to stand back and criticize people that are following Jesus, or at least trying to. In the story, The Greatest Showman, P.D. Barnum hires a European opera singer who comes and sings. And the lyrics of her song that she sings are these. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the sky, the night sky, will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. She's singing uh, to the people that have made it in life. She's singing to people that have, have everything they want and everything they can imagine. But it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. And this recognition of God, this stage one in faith, friends, is when the light bulb goes off and we realize that no matter how much you have in this life, it'll never, never be enough. All the fame, all the popularity, all the fortune, all the security, all the things that we value, all the comforts of life, it's never, ever enough. Jesus asked the question, not just of Andrew and his friend, he asked the question of us, what do you want? What do you really want? And to that, I think they're just kind of startled. And so Andrew says, oh, where do you live? And Jesus says, well, come and see. And about four o'clock in the afternoon, they took off and they went to Jesus and they hung out where Jesus was staying. And we don't know what happened there, but it must have been something significant because someone bothered to say it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And Andrew was so impressed that he went and found his brother, Peter, Simon. And he says, we found the Messiah. 
Now, the Messiah is another one of those theological terms and those things that we don't always understand, but Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one, just as Christ means the anointed one. And so what Andrew was telling Peter was, his brother Simon, this is the guy, not just anointed, not just someone that's called of God, but he is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And Andrew, who hardly ever gets much press in Scripture, is always inviting someone to Jesus. I love that about him. He doesn't show up much in the stories. He's never in the spotlight. And yet, whenever you read about him, he's always bringing someone to Jesus. That could be you. You may never be someone up on stage. You may not be someone that's up in the spotlight but you can be fulfilling the important role of helping somebody else come to recognize who God is. That's what Andrew did. And Jesus looks at Simon. He says, so you are Simon, son of John. From now on, you'll be called Peter. He gives him the name Peter, Cephas. And it's just like Jesus to look at us, just like he looked at Peter. And Jesus sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. Peter was anything but Peter at that time. He was just Simon. He was just a fisherman. But Jesus sees something in Simon of who he's going to become. A person of rock-like dependability and character. A person on whom he's going to build his faith. A person who's going to have deep faith. A person he's going to build his church. There's something about the recognition of God. When we look at Jesus, we recognize that he's known us for a long time. He's loved us a long time before we loved him. And that changes Simon Peter's life. Well, the next day, Jesus goes and he finds a guy named Philip. And the Philip is really easy. Philip's not skeptical like some are in the story. Philip just follows him. And Philip is so convinced that Jesus is who he is. The light bulb just goes off again. He runs and tells his buddy Nathaniel, we found him. We found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth. <laughs> Can any good thing come out of Willard? Can any good thing come out of Strafford? Can any good thing come out of Sparta? Can any good thing come out of Clever? He doesn't argue with him. He just says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Nathaniel does. You know, uh, there's a craze going on right now, and it's called pickleball. I uh, found out about pickleball through Jim Mason. Jim Mason is the evangelist of pickleball. <laughs> I told Jim if he was as excited about Jesus as he is about pickleball, we'd really be doing something around here. So Jim tells me about pickleball. He tells me about 
Roxanne him playing pickleball and playing of Doug and Aaron Johnson. They're just having a great time and they're getting pickleball games up at Schweitzer in the Schweitzer gym. And you got to come and check this out yourself. Pickleball. I just thought pickleball was some old person's game. And so I decided I would go one night. I went in my street clothes so I had an excuse not to play. You want to play? No, I'm not dressed for it. And so I watched and it's fascinating. It's great. It's wonderful. Oh my gosh, that's me up there. I didn't know I was going to put me up there. And as you're playing, you begin to be enraptured by it. And so I played one time, and I bought a racket, and I'm in, and I'll see you on Thursday nights. Well, that's kind of the way it happens in faith. How do people come to faith? How did you come to faith? How did it happen for you? Might have happened because your mama and your daddy brought you. Loved on you, cared about you. Someone along the way reached out to you, loved you, was Jesus to you. Didn't argue about it. Didn't try to debate you. Didn't try to convince you. But there was something about them that you wanted what they had. You became convinced. You checked it out for yourself. You engaged it. Are you still engaging it? Are you still after it? We're not going to keep reading through the gospel story or recounting what we just read, but you get the idea. The people come to faith through people of faith. And we're all called to be tour guides. We're called to make the journey ourselves. Somewhere along the line, we get spiritually stuck. Sometimes we get derailed. Sometimes we just run off and join the circus. Sometimes life is tough. But for those of you who've been journeying with Jesus for a while, I want to ask you, when was the last time you told him that you loved him. When was the last time you really worshipped him? When was the last time you looked at your life and thought, hmm, where would I be today if someone hadn't reached out to me? Where would I be if God was missing in my life? Krista Rosenbaum is our new coordinator at Church of the Center. She leads our food pantry ministry, our coach house ministry. In a conversation this past week, Krista was explaining about how someone came in the food pantry and she invited her to worship, she invited her to church. And this person said, well, I don't have any clothes to, break to wear to church. I don't have clothes. Krista said, we don't care what kind of clothes you wear. We prefer that you wear clothes, but we don't care what kind of clothes you wear. You come to church, and you come, and I'll sit with you. I want to ask you a question. Was Krista a travel agent, or was she a tour guide? And who are you? Are you a travel agent? Or are you a tour guide? 
When was the last time you reached out, you bothered, and you thought, and you prayed about being a tour guide to somebody else so the light bulb would go off and they might see Jesus for who he is. And for those of us who just kind of on the bubble or we don't know or we're, you know, for those of us who've gone away and coming back, you can always come back. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. Remember what we said at the beginning? We are loved by God unconditionally. And without God, something's significantly missing in our life. If I believe that, it doesn't matter who I am or who somebody else is. It doesn't matter what they wear, who they are, what they look like, what they've done. They can join the party too. Richard Cunningham is one of those guys that had done about all the kind of stuff that you can do to mess up in your life. And he's been with us for some time. He's a leader in this church. He just happens to worship the church at the center. He's been clean, he's been sober, but more than that, he's been following Jesus for the last several years. He's not a travel agent. He's a tour guide. And the recognition that he has of God is something that's contagious. He posted recently on Facebook these words. So many others are still lost in their addiction and being that I've been there, I know that what you're going through. And the truth is that you don't have to be where you are. Here's some awesome news. You can have the same relationship, whoever you are, no matter the circumstances. I share this because I'm a living example of his love, grace, and mercy. When I couldn't stop, I asked God to help me. Please understand that I'm better because I gave my life to God. And you can do the same. It's free. I want you all to have what I have. Hashtag. God bless you. You know, Richard's a lot like a lot of other people. His syntax may not be the best. But I sure love his theology. I still, I really love his heart. I really love what he's about. I love what he's showing me and what he's showing others. This morning is the first Sunday of Lent and we are on a journey of faith. And wherever we are on this journey, we are going to be challenged. We are challenged by God. We are invited by God to let the light bulb go off on again. 
in our hearts and our spirits and our lives and the hearts and lives of other people. And we are here to worship God. To really call, call out our faith in God. To love God, to tell God that we love Him, to worship Him, to sing hymns of faith, to be moved by the Spirit, and to pray that God would do a new work in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirits. Because there's an awful lot of people who, as far as they know, don't have God in their life. And that's just not all right. I am not all right with that. I hope you're not all right with it either. What I simply want us to do now is just sing to God, worship God, love God, and let His Spirit be among us this morning.